Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Forever. Comic books, comic time, writers and artists are on the line. They make a splash as a comic's read and take us on a trip behind the spread. Watch out for comic book commentary. Spinning or winning inside, fix how they got a hot idea. Narrative, character, visual tricks, and onomatopoeia. Uh huh. It's comic book commentary. Finally, Jeremy Whitney has returned. To the comic book commentary of podcast. Yeah, I'm gonna drop the I'm gonna drop the whole bit. It's really fun for me. I think maybe not that fun to listen to though. All right, uh, hey guys, Jeremy Whitley back here again uh, to talk about comic books and give you sort of a behind the scenes insight into to what what it even is. I think I'm doing. Um, because may have heard me talking about Unstoppable Wasp before. Uh, today, it's going to be something a little lighter. We're talking about uh, a future foundation. And uh, because of the sort of the nature of the story, uh, I Ben asked me to do a, a track on number one. And there were so many little uh, spoilery things that I wasn't going to be able to talk about that uh, I asked to... I have them hold on to, to do it until um, number two came out. And we're going to do just uh, one one big track that covers uh, both Future Foundation number one and two, but also uh, the backup that our team did in uh, Fantastic Four number 12, which was sort of the soft launch of the series. Um, so I'm going to talk about all of that on here. I'm going to try not to run too obnoxiously long. Um, but I did want to make sure that uh, you guys had all the information so I wouldn't be spoiling things here. So uh, do read those comics before you listen to this if you have any interest in reading those comics because, you know, I'm going to spoil stuff. I'm going to go through everything. So uh, fair warning, I'm going to give you a few seconds to shut off that device that you're listening to the podcast on and then we'll get started. Ready? All right. So before I dive too deep into the story itself, I want to make sure that we talk about everybody that's involved in making this book, because that's the real behind the scenes of this. Uh, Obviously, I'm the writer on the Future Foundation. Will Robson is the primary artist. There are a few uh, pages in here that are penciled by Paco Diaz. Uh, that'll be an issue too. There's uh, the first couple of pages are uh, are penciled by Paco. Um, the, both of those guys are fantastic. Uh, there's quite a bit of uh, inking and finish assists by uh, Danielle Orlandini uh, on Will's stuff uh, and coloring by Greg Menzi. Um, on Paco's stuff, there are colors by Chris O'Halloran. Um, the whole thing. Uh, Fantastic Four and Future Foundation is lettered by the extremely talented Joe Caramagna, 
who uh, always makes me look like a better writer than I am because things actually fit in the page, whether or not they actually should. Um, the Fantastic Four story in 12, which I'm not going to talk about uh, in, in any kind of detail because I didn't write it. Uh, but if you're looking at that issue, uh, it's written by Dan Slott, drawn by Sean Izaxi, uh colored by Marcio Menez, and uh, it's got a that issue has a great cover by Isad Ribic. Uh, if you if you didn't read that, you really should. It's good. Um, also, these issues, uh, Future Foundation, have uh, covers of the work by uh, Carlos Pacheco, Rafael Fontaniz, uh, Matt Lackey, Humberto Ramos. Uh, Edgar Delgado, Nick Bradshaw, Rochelle Rosenberg, John Tyler Christopher, Takeshi Miyazawa, and Ian Herring. Uh, also, this series is edited by Sarah Brunstad and Tom Brevoort, uh, with some help from C.B. Sobolski, who is the editor-in-chief at Marvel. You're going to hear me talk about Sarah and Tom at various points. That's who I'm talking about. Um, I might even say C.B.'s name again. Hi, C.B. Um all right, that's all the creative folks out of the way. Uh, quick note, if you're not familiar with the Future Foundation, that's fine because uh, they haven't been in all that many comics. They were created by Jonathan Hickman in his run on Fantastic Four from a few years back, which is, if you haven't heard a, somebody who loves comic books rant about how great the Jonathan Hickman Fantastic Four is, you haven't talked to them very long. Um because it's it's very good. Uh, he has a whole run of Fantastic Four. At one point, uh, there's a big event, and it switches over to being Future Foundation, which is when most of these characters are introduced. Um, there is also a, a significant run after that by uh, uh, Fraction and the All Reds, which is really fantastic, um, and you guys should definitely check out as well. Uh, they also do appear in the first few issues of Dan Slott's Fantastic Four uh, before they spiral off to go do what they're doing in this comic. Um, so you can check all those things out. Um, I, I recommend all of them. They're really great. Um, but let me give you kind of a, a breakdown of who we'll be looking at in this comic because they come from sort of all over creation. Um, so Alex Power is the first person we're going to hear from in this series. Uh, he is the the leader of the Future Foundation. Um, he was put in charge by Reed Richards uh, back during Fantastic Four when the Fantastic Four went back to Earth and uh, the FF went on their own mission. Uh, Alex is one of the original four members of the Power Pack, the you know first Marvel Kids team, along with his uh, sisters Katie and Julie. Um, and his brother Jack, uh, Katie and Jack don't appear in this series. Uh, they're back on Earth doing kid things still, uh, presumably. Um, but Alex was, uh, you know, recruited as sort of the oldest member of the Future Foundation to begin with and was eventually left in charge of it. Alex deal, uh, beyond being smart like everybody in this series is, is uh, that he controls gravity. He can make gravity become stronger or weaker in pockets. He can uh, use it to do all sorts of fun things. Um, we're also going to see Julie in this series. Uh, she's going to be, you know, the second one sort of narrating this uh, first story. Um, 
both both Alex or Julie's Julie's thing is uh, she's super fast and can fly. Uh, both Alex and Julie have sort of long histories in the Marvel universe with multiple teams. Alex was on the new warriors, uh, between doing power pack and doing, um, future foundation. Uh, Julie has been in the loners, which were sort of a non team team. And, uh, uh, also was in Avengers Academy. And before this, uh, her last appearance was in runaways. Um, where she uh, had a, a breakup with her uh, long-term girlfriend, um, Carolina Dean, uh, who, which we're going to talk about a little bit in this story because it's kind of relevant to uh, the introduction here. Um, you're also going to see Dragon Man, who is a former Fantastic Four villain turned hero. He's neither a dragon nor a man. He's uh, an android. Um, he's very smart. Uh, very kind, loves these children. He's also a giant android dragon that breathes fire. So there's that. Uh, Bentley 23 is maybe my favorite. Uh, he's uh, a little jerk. He's a clone of the wizard who is one of the classic Fantastic Four villains. Uh, like the wizard, he is a super genius scientist and inventor. Uh, like the wizard, he's also a jerk. Unlike the wizard, uh, he's mostly a good guy. Uh, other than that, he just really really enjoys tormenting Alex. Um, Onome uh, was a, a character that was created for uh, for the Future Foundation by Jonathan Hickman. Uh, she is a, a young Wakandan engineering prodigy that uh, got picked up as, as part of the Future Foundation. Uh, she, uh, like Donatello, uh, does machines. She, she doesn't have a power beyond that, but she's really, really good at that. Um, the, the other characters you might know, even if you've never picked up a Future Foundation comic in your life, are Artie and Leech, uh, young mutant Moppets who uh, originate, you know, all the way back in, in the Morlocks and X-Men. Um, Artie projects things from his mind, um, holograms, basically. Uh, Leech uh, shuts off people's powers. Um, and then... Uh, you have the Moloids, who are uh, Tong, Torg, Mick, and Kor. Uh, they're all super advanced, uh, super intelligent uh, descendants of mole people uh, from the Fantastic Four. Um, and then we also have the uh, Uhari villain Wu, who are uh, sort of the prince and princess of this uh, other underwater kingdom, it's not uh, Namor and Atlantis and all that. They're sort of a, a rival kingdom. Um, they're, they'll, they're used kind of sparingly in this, uh, mostly because I don't have a lot of call for underwater action for the most part. Um, but they are there. Um, so, like, the, the cool thing about the Future Foundation, to me... Um, this has felt a lot like the Wasp in this regard, too, is that it's a, a team of, of young kids, but they are so intricately tied into the Marvel Universe. I mean, you've got, obviously, you know, ties to the Power Pack, the Loners, um, Avengers Academy, New Warriors, Runaways, uh, X-Men, Morlocks, um, Black Panther, The Wizard, obviously Fantastic Four, um, and then uh, once we get to issue one, there's a, a bit of a connection to the Guardians of the Galaxy that we'll, we'll talk a little bit about as well. 
Um, but let's uh, let's jump in with uh, Fantastic Four issue twelve. We're looking at page twenty seven, which is the beginning of uh, Mayan Will's first Future Foundation story, which is called Speed of Light. Um, you'll you'll notice uh, in the bottom of this first panel that the uh, name of the asteroid they're on here is 1984JA. Uh, asteroids are traditionally named by the uh, year and uh, the month and date that they were found. Um, this uh, name corresponds to an asteroid that would have been discovered at the same time that uh, the power pack was launched. So a little Easter egg for you there. Uh, nobody's quite mentioned. Um, <laughs> this is, uh, you get a little, little bit of a recap at the beginning here from Alex, who, uh, is, is running for his life along with the rest of the future foundation. They're being chased through this asteroid by, uh, mostly unseen evil, uh, scarily toothed aliens. Um, you get a, a quick look at everybody. You get a quick, uh, snipe from Bentley. Cause of course you do. Um, I mean, the first the first spoken sentence in this whole thing is, "Congratulations, Power! You finally got us all killed," uh, which I feel like is is maybe the mission statement for this comic in a way. Um, you get uh, a little bit of of Tong right here off the bat, um, our young trans female Moloid, who I know is a lot of a lot of folks' favorite character um, in the Future Foundation. Uh, I. I can't even say that I have a favorite Future Foundation character anymore because I I, I love them all so much. Um, I want them. I want good. I want only good things for all of them, um, except maybe Bentley. I want equally good and bad things for him. Um, so we're you know we're getting a little of run dialogue. Everybody's trying to get away from these creatures. Uh, the creatures won't come into the light, so they're you know using this light to ward them off. But um, they only have so much light to spare. Um, and as, as this first page ends, Alex sort of collapses the tunnel behind them using his gravity ability, uh, to buy them some time so they can figure out a way out of here. Um, and of course it ends with a, uh, sort of predictive, ah, well, you know, Julie, I'm sure is doing great back at home. Uh, everything's probably fine there. Uh, and of course, the, the next page, we find out that Julie is, is not, in fact, doing well. This is an important scene to me that's it's sort of been in there since the beginning, because I, I knew I wanted to use Julie, because even though she's not uh, a member of the, the previously existing Future Foundation, she has this tie to Alex into the whole uh, legacy of, of the power pack, which uh, so does Alex. They both have this very similar thing of having been brought up, you know, having been superheroes as kids and, um, really expecting a lot of themselves, um, in a way that, you know, probably isn't fair to them. You know, Alex is experiencing this sort of, uh, moment of, of panic of, of not being able to handle being the leader of the future foundation. And Julie is experiencing this, uh, moment of, of personal failure. Um, because you know, Julie is is a character who you know in the power pack was uh, sort of the the smarter, level headed older sister, right? Like she is sort of the 
you know, uh, <laughs> mom too, uh, in a lot of ways. Um, and she was the, the well-read one, um, one with things taken care of. That's a, that's a depiction that I, I think has changed a little bit in the last couple of years and that, uh, especially in the loners, she's shown, you know, having run off to LA and, uh, trying to start an acting career. Um, and then, you know, in Avengers Academy, we learn a, a lot more about her, including that she's, uh, she comes out as bisexual and this is going to be something that like some people have, have had issues with online, um, and have, have talked to me about as well is, uh, she, she definitely defines herself and her sexuality in, um, in Avengers Academy. Uh, and she, she defines herself as she says she is bisexual, even though, um, the description of her, her bisexuality that she gives sounds a lot like she's pan. Um, which, you know, I, I think has a lot to do with just sort of the, uh, changing of the time and, and evolution of, of how we, uh, think about sexuality. I mean, you know, that's still, we're still talking about 10 years ago when Avengers Academy came out. Um, so it's a little dicey, but you know, last time we heard from her, she, uh, has just called herself bisexual. So that's kind of what I stuck with as far as the way she actually talks about herself. Um, and, and what we learned from this page is, is not only, um, last time we saw her, she, she broke up with Carolina, um, because they are kind of incompatible in the way they think about life and superheroing and everything. Uh, you know, Julie, having been somebody who was on a superhero team with like, her younger brother and sister and who, you know, takes superheroing very seriously and Carolina and the runaways being not really superheroes, but kids with superpowers who occasionally stumble into doing heroic things, but who's, you know, uh, time and, and legacy is, is superheroes has been more about, uh, surviving and self-determination than superheroism. Um, Julie finds that like fundamentally, incompatible, which I think makes a lot of sense for that character. I know a lot of people are not overly fond of, of that breakup. I, I think it makes sense uh, in the way it was done. Um, anyway, we get, we find out here that uh, Julie has not actually been doing well, um, that she has uh, found out after this, you know, breakup that uh, her, her girlfriend at the time uh, bounced back much more quickly than she did. And she, um, finds herself pretty broken up about the aftermath of this breakup and that that has resulted in her, um, getting depressed, uh, not going to class, slowly flunking out of college. And then, um, you know, sort of coming to this moment of like, she's not a superhero anymore. She's not, uh, uh, she's not a college student anymore. All, all these things that she defines herself by have kind of fallen to the wayside for her. And she doesn't, she doesn't know what to do. She's depressed and she's worried. And, um, she, you know, at, at the end is, is really thinking about Alex, who used to be the team leader and, and excelled at doing speeches. And she's, she's talking about how much she feels like she needs one of those, uh, a team leader, get up and go kind of speeches, um, to get out of this sort of, uh, <laughs> disgusting funk that she's in. 
uh, where she's sort of been on the couch for extended period of time and has, you know, just food and junk everywhere. Um, which man having, having gone to college and had, uh, having had roommates who, uh, <laughs> went through their own stuff. It's, uh, maybe the realest thing I, I feel like I've ever written in a comic. Um, so we, we get back to our, our kids on the asteroid. They've come up with a plan. Uh, <laughs> I, it's, it's, it's important to me coming out of, of Wasp to have characters that have, you know, sort of specialties within the science thing. Um, you know, Bentley is, is sort of chaos scientist. Um, he just does uh, crazy stuff. Um, but Anome builds things, fixes things. Uh, Tong is, is doing programming here. Uh, so they've, they've taken what they have, which in this case is some of, you know, Dragon Man's machinery and subroutines and um, programmed him to, to be able to teleport. Um, and Tong has written this big sort of program for them, um, this algorithm, which is supposed to be able to uh, have Dragon Man teleport a person with him to to find a person to help them. So the algorithm is supposed to be able to help them find uh, the best possible person to help them with the issue they're they're asking for help with. Um, so Alex decides he's going to go. Uh, ben, Bentley at first is championing himself as uh, a possible option, uh, but then when he discovers there's a chance that he'll end up being teleported into the middle of space, uh, he is more than happy to let Alex go uh, instead. So Alex uh, grabs on the Dragon Man and they, they jump out and pop up in, of course, the middle of, of Julie's uh, college apartment here. Um, and we get a, a nice little reunion between Alex and Julie, who haven't seen each other in years because Alex has been off with the Future Foundation um, has aged up several years uh, faster than Julie because of, of having been sort of out time outside of space and time for quite a while. Um, and, and you get like a nice emotional, but instantly is sort of this uh, siblings who know each other moment that is, is what I really wanted to capture. Like, you know, they're, they're very excited to see each other. There's a big hug and immediately. Uh, first thing Alex says to her is that, you know, she smells, uh, which almost certainly she does. And then Julie makes fun of his uh, terrible facial hair, um, which having, having been uh, that, that kid in college who, you know, is trying to grow in the facial hair very unsuccessfully with just patches here and there, I feel like is, is very, it's a very real moment in the superhero world. Like, oh yeah, Alex can control gravity, but he can't control his own facial hair. Um, Dragon Man is anxious to get back and save the kids and sort of without really getting her consent to do so, uh, Alex grabs Julie and uh, teleports her out to the middle of space. Um, Julie, of course, is uh, not thrilled because she's wearing a, a hoodie and athletic shorts and uh, specifically she says no bra, um, which is a weird way to find yourself in the middle of space. Um, they have this moment of yelling back and forth, and of course, they're interrupted by Bentley, who just uh, takes takes the opportunity to snipe even further. But of course, uh, Julie's grown up with with two very uh, 
aggravating brothers and she knows how to handle herself. Um, tells Bentley off and, uh, <laughs> lists all the horrible things that have happened to her. Um, but she knows that she can save the day. She is the perfect person to, to deal with this because these creatures are photophobic and, uh, they are very lost in these tunnels. Julie is very, you know, can move at the speed of light so she can move through the tunnels very quickly. And she creates, as we're about to see in this, this, uh, big spread page, uh, Julie creates a sort of rainbow trail of light when she moves. Uh, so the, the creatures stay away from her. She's able to find her way out and get all of the kids out, uh, without, without too much issue. And within a matter of seconds, uh, we see her, you know, really, come back to being the, the superhero that she always is and always knows she is. Um, she has been depressed and has had a hard time, but she also, um, she's also still light speed. She's still Julie deep down. Um, and this is a, sort of the first time we get to see Julie smile or be happy. And the Julie herself has been happy in a while. Um, you know, including uh, Bentley tries to, to show her up by uh, mentioning that there's no way that she's going to be able to get Dragon Man out of the asteroid. He's much too heavy, and much too big. Um, and she points out that uh, he should be smart enough to know that weight isn't a constant. It's a function of gravity. Uh, science. Um, and, you know, uses Alex's power to help uh, get them out. And she is immediately beloved by, uh, by the young kids and does, uh, what I assume it has to be how Julie enters the room at any party that, that sort of slide rainbow into the room. Um, at least in, in my head, that's how it works. And they head back to the, uh, the ship and get off of this asteroid before they deal any more of these creatures. Um, we, we pick up on the next page later that night and Alex is, uh, reminiscing about the days in the power pack and looking at his old photos of, of the four of them together. Um, <laughs> Julie arrives having recently had a makeover. Um, she's got just a huge amount of eyeliner all around her eyes from, from having let the, uh, kids have a whack at her. And, um, she kind of lays everything out for Alex of like everything that's happened to her since the last time they talked and then the kind of tough time she's had. Um, and she's, she's convinced Alex is going to yell at her and then let her have it and really give her some crap about it. Um, but Alex is a, it's a good guy and a good brother. And, um, uh, Gives her what she really needs is, you know, a hug and <laughs> something to do. Um, gives her a purpose uh, to you know, get her up off that couch and, and doing something she cares about. She wants to join the Future Foundation and, and help teach these kids and, and be part of all this. Um, so she you know, she decides to join up. He's excited to have her and not have all this pressure on himself anymore and actually, you know, have somebody that he can depend on. Um, <laughs> he, he promises to, uh, 
give her anything she wants. And of course, the the only possible response to this is uh, that he needs to shave his facial hair because <laughs> it's awful. <laughs> it's going to be sort of our ongoing joke about Alex's awful facial hair. Somebody online was very upset about his facial hair and wanted uh, wanted us to stop drawing it in the issues. And I was like, no, that is very specifically in my script because every every guy that's ever grown a beard or wanted to grow a beard has at some point had horrible horrible facial hair as they tried to uh, figure that out. Um, and, and that's really... The moment in Alex's life I want to capture is that sort of trying to be the adult in the room, uh, even if that means, you know, growing in a really awful uh, clump of facial hair. He's so desperate to to be, you know, the Reed Richards to this these kids, and he, he feels like he's failing. Um, he really gives us a chance for him to sort of wear that on his face. Literally, um, I I think little things like that that you can do with characters' appearances are so important in in comics that you can tell bits of story without having to you know really say them out loud about you know who these characters are and, and what they're dealing with. Um, well, that that sort of that wraps up the. Uh, Fantastic Four backup, and uh, so we're going to jump over into Future Foundation number one. Um, still, uh, the uh, I gave you all the teams already, so uh, jump in and immediately meet our new uh, guest professor for this story. There was originally a short story that I wrote that. Um, so, all right, to, to give you a little more behind the scenes. Um, this is the first bit of Future Foundation I wrote is Future Foundation number one. Um, with the knowledge that we were planning to go back and do the backup story in Fantastic Four. Um, and originally, this, the story that I ended up writing for the backup for Fantastic Four first was about the recruiting of Yondu. Um, we hear a little bit about Julie being recruited secondhand. And it was something I wanted to go back and cover in more detail later. Um, but it was important to me that we jump in on the first issue of, of future foundation with, with everything going. Um, so I was going to tell the story about Julian and dragon man going to, um, recruit Yondu, who was of course in the middle of, uh, you know, a horrible backwater planet in the, uh, you know, be, getting caught up in a gunfight when he was trying to, uh, steal and, and well, sell stolen goods, um, and, you know, Dragon Man teleporting Julie to him out there in the middle of nowhere. Um, you know, him, him agreeing to come and join the Future Foundation, which it's, it's interesting in that, um, you know, we'll, we'll get to it later at some point. But um, the, the original pitch for this story uh, for the series for Future Foundation was that we have a series of, of guest professors in the story to come in and uh, teach. And the deal is, uh, you know, these, these kids are some of the smartest kids in the universe. They've been all around the multiverse. They've helped recreate worlds. Um, so there's no one teacher who can replace Reed and Sue. And um, there's no, there's no person who, who, has enough knowledge to teach all of them. Um, so the idea would be that anytime 
um, the Future Foundation runs into something that they, they don't know how to do or something that they want to learn, that uh, they would use this Dragonman's uh, ability to teleport to find that person who's, who's best able to help them uh, do the thing that they want to do. Um, so we'll, we'll see some of that, uh, some of Yondu's story of, of recruiting, I, I think probably in issues four or five. But it was important to me that we sort of jump in headfirst to this story. So it, it starts with um, Yondu uh, pretending to walk Julie into this sort of private prison on this uh, isolated planet in the middle of nowhere. It's a, you know, crystal planet. There's nowhere to escape to. Um, so it's uh, a great place to have uh, people locked up because it's uh, it's inhospitable. If you were to break out of prison, you would need a way off world immediately to actually escape. Otherwise, they would just track you down. There's nowhere to go. Um, and uh, the idea is that it's, it's a private prison, so anybody that has a bounty on them can be brought here for, you know, some, some amount of that bounty and they will then resell them to whoever, um, whoever placed the bounty. Um, in this case, Yandu is, is taking Julie in, um, for this bounty. And, uh, you know, it's, this is a place that Yandu has been before, obviously, because Yandu has been to all the space prisons at some point. <laughs> um, we get a little uh, talk back and forth about the the shampoo that um, Julie used and the fact that Julie has several bounties out on her in space because, of course, the power pack, you know, was at war with or, you know, fought the, the snarks uh, for quite a while who were, you know, weird uh, insect-like aliens and uh, various points were helped by and, and fought the chimelians who were... Uh, weird horse-like aliens um, who are the enemies of the snarks. Um, so we find out that Julie's got several bounties out, some of which are dead or alive, uh, which uh, really bothers Julie. Because, <laughs> you know, uh, this this is an interesting scene for me because there's this sort of... The, I, the mission is get Julie into the prison so that she can figure out... Uh, you know, where this, this person is that they're looking for or what this thing is that they're looking for and get them out. Um, and the, the, the thing is, that's not what either of them are doing in this scene. Yondu is fighting about the price for Julie because he knows she's worth more than what they're trying to give him. Um, even though like it doesn't, it doesn't actually matter. He has no intention of leaving her there. He's just sneaking her. He's just, you know, using the, the sales way to get her in. He is incensed by their uh, desire to to be cheapskates. Um, so he's, he's arguing the, the price with her. Julie, in the meanwhile, is very upset that somebody wants her dead. <laughs> and it's trying to find out who uh, who has a bounty out on her. Because um, and she, she fancies herself a good and decent person. Doesn't understand why anybody would want her dead. Um, you know, I, I feel like we'd all have that reaction to some extent, but they're both sort of like ignoring their actual mission, which is uh, getting her in uh, as as easily as possible. Um, so we follow Yondu back out of the prison and we, we meet the rest of the team in there uh, constructing stuff in the main part of the ship. They're all putting together these uh, computers as part of the plan. We don't know exactly what the plan is, but we know it has something to do with this uh, 
shampoo that was referenced earlier. Um, Bentley has nanobots. He uh, wanted to get on Julie. Julie refused to swallow them. Um, so what has happened is, is Yondu's uh, put them in this uh, shampoo that he claimed to Julie is to keep her from getting, you know, uh, parasites in prison. Um, but of course, the prison has a different remedy for that, which is that they shave people's heads when they come in. Uh, so uh, he has put the nanobots in the shampoo um, so that as soon as they, they shave her head and activates the nanobots, they don't have to go. They don't have to make it through any kind of security um, because there's there's no security at the barbershop who would attack the barbershop in the prison. Um, so they these little nanobots climb into all the machines and uh, start shorting things out, including the uh, the clipper being used for her hair. So Julie ends up uh, with a, <clears throat> a universally bad haircut. And everybody uh, is very excited that uh, the nanobots get in and get into the security system. Bentley and Anome and, and the Moloids are able to work everything out to where that they can see everything that's going on in the prison. Um, and they're sort of directing Julie using the, the lighting system um, to get her to the, the cell where she needs to go to. We get to see some of Julie in the prison and some of Julie being very upset about uh, her hair and uh, the state of the state of being in this prison full of evil aliens, um, several of which we see. And boy, Will did just an amazing job on on these aliens. As you scroll through these these pages in the prison, you'll see like my my descriptions are just like they're aliens. They're big. They're mean. They look scary. They look like you know uh, the ho- the the horrible scary guys you meet in a prison, but even bigger and crazier because they're aliens. Um, and we, we follow her and we, we find out that there's something else going on on the ship. They found somebody in the prison um, who uh, appears to be Reed Richards, uh, their, their own mentor. And um, Alex is, is determined to go save Reed. Um, who points out that's not their mission. They're not here to save Reed Richards. If Reed Richards is in there, then who cares? Um that's, that's not what he agreed to. Um, but Alex and several of the others are, are determined not to not to leave their, their friend and mentor behind uh, if he is really stuck in there. So they improvise a, a quick plan using the using Yondu's gun, um, which uh, he is he is not happy about because that's his gun. Uh, Nome points out that uh, the way the gun is, is calibrated, he couldn't possibly use it uh, without liquidating his spine. And, uh, you know, he's he's not sure what that has to do with anything, but Nome is, is sure that she can get it fixed up to where he can use it. And uh, she says there's no way, there's no way he's firing that thing. Don't worry, she'll, she'll fire it for the first time. So, you know, we get sort of, Anomi's going to fix this thing and she's going to uh, bust a hole in the side of the prison to uh, to get Alex and everybody in. Um, all right. And here is where we get our introduction to Rebecca, who is, it would appear, a new character in this story. We'll get to that later. Um, uh, Rebecca is the, the source of this weird signal they're getting from, from inside the prison, which will... Um, find out more about later. Um, 
what exactly this, this signal is, but it seems to have something to do with the molecule man. Um, Julie is, is all set to rescue um, Rebecca, but Rebecca has no interest in leaving, it would seem. Um, Julie tries to impress her with tales of having been an Avenger and being, and uh, all that. And uh, Rebecca's not interested in it. She says she's, she's um, met Avengers before. It's not, not a big deal to her. Um, Julie mentions Avengers Academy, which she went to, and that, on the other hand, has some um, some effect on Rebecca. She decides to uh, be interested at this point and um, asks Julie questions about the the world, and seems uh, seems satisfied. Uh, there's a joke about the Spider Mobile in here and how stupid it is, um, <laughs> uh, but in her in Rebecca's knowledge of of other worlds. Uh, the only one she's been to that had a spider mobile, uh, is this one. Um, so she, uh, she, for whatever reason at this point decides to, uh, let Julie help rescue her. Um, we jump and, and yeah, we get her name, Rebecca. Um, we jump back outside to the moloids counting down to, uh, turning off the security in the prison. Basically, the plan is they're going to shut off the the power um, to the collars and um, all the other security stuff, keeping them in. Everything but the cameras that they're using to to look in on people. Um, and then uh, Alex's uh, firing team here is going to uh, bust in and uh, get read out. And then once. Uh, they're, they get in and out. Julia uh, gets Rebecca out. They're going to get in the, the ship and take off before they have to deal with uh, security coming back on. Um, Bentley has tagged along, even though nobody asked him to, because that's just the sort of uh, just the sort of considerate guy Bentley is. Um, he's come all the way out here to to mock Alex. Uh, Alex gets a shot in too here, though, because uh, apparently. Uh, at least in his mind, uh, Bentley has been uh, mooning after Valeria since she left to go back home with uh, with her parents and the rest of the Fantastic Four. Bentley denies this adamantly. Um, Julie is, is trying to get them into position to, to get out of here with the quickness once the uh, electricity goes off. Um, but Rebecca has some... Uh, some personal possessions left here that she wants to get to because she's never, uh, she, she doesn't have much left from her, her previous life and she doesn't want to leave behind what she does. Um, the lights go down and immediately Julie is, uh, out of her, out of her collar when she is quickly disassembled with the super speed. Um, and she she agrees they're gonna uh, they're gonna go get Rebecca's stuff before they leave. Um, Alex and team, uh, we get a little aside from uh, Anome here, who's sort of tells us a little bit about who she is and where she comes from. Um, 
which is important to me to, to get with a character who hasn't had a lot of time to, to speak in the comics. Um, wanted to really give her a chance to tell her story. Um, the, uh, you'll notice the, uh, the gun here is named Arkill, which is, uh, it's named after, uh, a, a, char- a character in the sort of cosmic Marvel universe. Um, does have some significance, but I'm not going to talk about what it is yet. Cause, uh, we're not there yet. Um, Alex is, is getting ready to go and tells Bentley to, you know, help out or don't, he doesn't care. Um, but they're going now. Um, <clears throat> then we get a little aside from Julie as she finally gets to flex her, her power muscles here. We see how, how fast she moves and how fast she flies. She's just zipping around these, uh, guards that are, are trying to keep up with her. She's running along the walls. She's, uh, carrying, uh, Rebecca on her back the whole way. Um, we really find out, you know, from from Julie's own point of view who Julie is, um, and I really like these asides. They're they're a little bit contrived. They're a little bit uh, what they are. But I, I wanted to give, uh, especially the characters that that talk about here, a chance to really say who they are. Um, as we get the the same thing from Alex next, as he's busting into the prison. Um, Alex's in particular was, was one that like, I, I think I wrote Julie's first, but Alex's was the one that I felt like was the most clever. Um, as I was doing it as the one that I was like, yeah, these are staying in. They're not going anywhere. Um, cause he's talking about responsibilities, crushing him. Um, it's feeling like he can't do it, but, uh, I think it's too heavy. Um, of course, he says, I am the master of gravity. I am Alex Power. Nothing is too heavy for me. Um, which I feel like is one of those lines that as I wrote it, I was like, yes, it did it. That's it right there. Got it. Knocked it out. So, uh, yeah, we get some, some great uh, monster prison action. Uh, everybody's uh, fighting and, and having a good time in here. Alex is throwing people around with his powers. Uh, we get dragon man punching Yondu shooting some people. Everybody's very upset at Bentley because he's not doing anything. He's just there bothering people. And, uh, finally Bentley decides that he's going to take mercy and, and help them all out because they, they're helpless without him. Uh, so he pulls out a slingshot and some, uh, marbles. Um, uh, but of course, Bentley being Bentley, uh, they're not just marbles. Um, they're, uh, each, each one of them has different abilities and they have uh, different crazy stuff going on. This first one that he uses is a, a wormhole that, you know, this sort of, uh, elder God Cthulhu-esque creature, uh, sticks all these tentacles through and pulls this, uh, giant alien <laughs> through the hole. Um, and we get, we get Bentley's sort of statement of purpose here, uh, which is about his, uh, him and his father and how they differ and how, uh, both, both the wizard, his father and Reed Richards are so concerned about good and evil. Uh, and he thinks that's dumb. Um, he says good and evil are stupid. I'm Bentley 23 and I'm on the side of awesome. Um, 
And that's just that's that's his deal. He's you know not good or evil. He's just in the chaos. He shoots another guy with the uh, you know a marble that shocks him and disables him. Um, and Alex is is trying to get to uh, what he thinks is Reed Richards. Um, Reed and all of his uh, crew here have already gotten rid of their collars as well. Um, and there, there's a couple of uh, you know, some some bad looking dudes not letting him get to Reed. Uh, they don't want him to bother Reed because Reed is uh, apparently their leader here. Um, we get at the end of this one our our introduction to. Uh, the maker and his own frightful four, uh, which, uh, we're, we're going, I, I would stop and, uh, talk about all of them right now, but we're going to get introductions to them at the beginning of issue two, which is, uh, what we're here to talk about in the first place anyway. Um, but the maker is, uh, not that Reed Richards. Um, he's the, uh, Reed Richards from, what we used to call the ultimate universe, uh, a, a different version of the universe um, where the Reed Richards is uh, not quite so good. All right, so we're going to jump into issue two here. So this is all brand new stuff on the day this podcast comes out. So if you haven't read issue two yet and you don't want stuff to be spoiled for you, don't keep, don't keep listening, because there are definitely things to be spoiled on this issue. Um, the first of which is uh, Paco Diaz is amazing, um, because I did something I thought was very difficult here, and it took a lot of trimming to, to get it to fit. Um, but I wanted to talk about Reed Richards, uh, and specifically I wanted to talk about the maker and, and what makes him different than Reed Richards. Um, so... From, you know, from Mr. Fantastic, the Reed Richards that we know. Um, and I did it by doing a bit of a recap of the entire history of the Fantastic Four and of the ultimate Fantastic Four side by side, which is no, no mean task. Um, it, it's obviously not comprehensive, but uh, it, it starts with the introduction of both Reeds, uh, Reed Richards, Mr. Fantastic, and his, his father, Nathaniel, who is... Uh, Long-time readers, readers of especially Hickman's uh, Future Foundation will be familiar with. Um, Nathaniel, he's uh, a complicated guy, but a guy that uh, really believed in and helped Reed uh, to become who he is now. And uh, then we, we get to meet uh, the maker's father, this Reed's father. His name is Gary. Uh, and he's awful. He's just a bad dude. Uh, he's He's abusive and uh, terrible and, uh, hates Reed for not being, you know, an athlete rather than, uh, praising him for being super smart. Um, we get to see sort of how the two of their lives evolve that, you know, they, they both become the fantastic four, but, uh, our Reed, Mr. Fantastic gets, you know, forms fantastic four and he gets married to Sue and has this, you know, fairly, this difficult, but wonderful life, uh, you know, with the future foundation and all these, these things. And that, um, you know, the maker is, he goes through a pretty different thing. Um, you know, his, his Sue doesn't love him. Um, 
she's eventually in love with Ben. Um, but you know, she, <laughs> if, if you've read the, all the stuff around, you know, the maker and ultimate fantastic four, he, uh, gets Ben to, uh, kill who he thinks is his Dr. Doom. Um, uh, it turns out to be, you know, not Dr. Doom because it's very difficult to kill Dr. Doom. Um, he has continuity powers. <laughs> um, he tries to propose to Sue and Sue, uh, turns him down. He then, uh, burns down his childhood home, killing both of his parents and, uh, uh, staging his own death. It turns out he's not dead, but in fact, uh, become a, a supervillain in his own right. And, uh, manipulating all these things that, you know, he's been, um, working against the, the ultimates, their version of the Avengers. Sue eventually discovers what he's done and, and confronts him. Um, he does the only thing a nice guy like him could possibly do and, uh, capture the woman he's in love with and torture her. Um, which is, is then discovered by Sue's brother, who, uh, is of course the human torch and, uh, leaves leaves a nice uh burned facial scar on this uh on the maker um which is is what accounts for that uh giant crazy helmet that the maker wears um and you know while well our read mr fantastic is recruiting these uh kids from all around the universe and making the future foundation uh the maker is genetically creating an artificially aging, uh, kids to be the, the, the perfect, um, breed of, of, uh, the children of tomorrow, um, is sort of, uh, legacy. Um, but then of course, uh, find out secret wars happens and they both, their worlds collide and they, they go face to face. And, um, the only, the only way the world is saved is that Doom, our Doom, Victor Von Doom, um, pulls a bunch of pieces of the, the destroyed worlds together and creates a battle world to, to save the day. There's a, you know, Secret Wars is, is a great and long event, which is broken down in all of about three panels here. Um, but, uh, you know, ultimately... Uh, what we talk about here is that a lot of uh, Earth 616, the the world of this Doom and Mr. Fantastic, a lot of that gets saved because it's Doom's world. Uh, not much of uh, Earth 1610, the ultimate universe, gets saved uh, because uh, well, they don't have a Doctor Doom because, uh, well, they do have a Doctor Doom, but their Doctor Doom has been you know, and hiding and stuff for a long time. Uh, there's that, there's a lot of continuity there, but you know, because this, this doom is able to save the day. Um, a lot of what we know is the prime Marvel universe. The six one six survives and very little of the ultimate universe survives. Um, and both of the Reed Richards is, uh, come face to face with Molecule Man, who is the one helping Doom pull all this together and, and keep the world afloat. Um, and ultimately, there's a ton of continuity here, uh, which is which is the real tricky part of this. Um, ultimately, he chooses 
Molecule Man chooses Mr. Fantastic uh, over the Maker, or so it seems he shreds the Maker into all these pieces. The trick of the Maker is that uh, Owen, the Molecule Man, then aids Franklin in rebuilding all of the universes and putting the multiverse back together. And there's a piece of each of them in all of these worlds, but also the Molecule Man leaves a piece of the Maker in each of these worlds. So there's been a lot of questions from people reading the first issue about how the Maker is specifically in uh, Absolute Carnage and in Future Foundation at the same time. The answer is they're not the same guy, but they are because the Maker is has all these different versions of himself that are scattered to all these different universes. Um, but they're all connected at the brain. They all uh, work together. They He is all of these places at once and doing all of these things at once. Uh, and he can because he's Reed Richards. He can handle that. Um, so he is working all of these diabolical schemes at the same time. Um, you know, this maker is not the same maker who's in uh, Carnage, but he is also doing those things. Uh, he is all over the place. Um, and that is, is something that's going to come back in this, this story as well. Um, we also see that uh, in Fantastic Four, Owen got uh, destroyed, disassembled, spread about the, the universe. Um, and that's part of, that's the mission of the Future Foundation as it stands right now is to put those uh, pieces of the Molecule Man back together. Uh, and the thing, the thing about that is Owen is the, the only one who actually knows about the maker and what he is. Um, so uh, even, even once you discover that the maker is bad guy, he just seems to be one alternate universe uh, Reed Richards, the fact is he is not an alternate universe Reed Richards. He is the maker and the maker is the maker in every universe. They all, they're all connected. They can all work together and work the same plans. He is incredibly powerful in that right. Uh, and, uh, let's give, give props to Al Ewing here for, uh, coming up with that and doing that. If you haven't read, uh, Al's new Avengers uh, and then U.S. Avengers, um, they, where they run into uh, the Maker after Secret Wars uh, and, and get to learn a little bit about where he comes from and what he is. Um, go read that. It's very good. Um, so we, we come back to, to present time. Largath 5, the prison planet. Uh, Alex is standing in front of this guy who seemed to be Reed Richards, but doesn't seem quite right. He has this big scar that Reed Richards never has. And uh, Maker explains this way. It's like, oh, well, I've had this, uh, you know, uh, I had this collar on. I haven't had the ability to get rid of this scar. I can't, haven't been able to stretch myself. So it's just sort of um, been there. I recruited these guys to protect me. Um, and we, we get a proper introduction to the... Uh, rest of the Frightful Four here, uh, which include uh, uh, Chiara Warbird Altividua uh, is the uh, <laughs> the short humanoid one in front here. Um, we'll, we'll see her wings here shortly. Um, 
And then we have uh, a thing I created, which is a Massian Cronin, uh, which is a... Uh, uh, so Cronins are, are rock people. A Massian Cronin is a lava rock person. Um, so they're... <laughs> They're uh, you know sort of overpowered Cronin's uh, rock people that throw lava because um, I, I felt like that must be a thing, right? If there are rock people, there have to be you know volcanic rock people. Um, and I wanted I, I wanted him to have uh, well, hang on, we'll get to that in just a second. And then we have uh, Kilrath of the Zinrex, which uh, are snarks. They're the uh, if there are mortal enemies of the power pack, they are the mortal enemies of the power pack. They're uh, creepy lizard people, um, and they're they're pretty well always evil. Um, what I wanted to do here, what I thought was fun, was uh, to to play with the Fantastic Four. Um, archetype because the thing about the Fantastic Four is they're they're Earth, Wind, Fire, and Water, right? Um, you got the Thing who's Earth, you got um, Reed who's Water, who's moves, bends. Uh, you got obviously Johnny who's Fire, um, and then you have uh, Sue who is who's Air. She's invisible, um, and I wanted to sort of spin that um, and that. The giant rock monster here is the fire guy. Um, uh, the the you know the snark is um, the earth guy here. He's he's the bruiser, um, and then uh, you have a, a flying person on for the air, um, and like Sue, she is uh, quietly the scariest of all of them, because um, they're. They're all they're all bad, um, but uh, as, as we will see with Alti, uh, she is uh, not at all hesitant to kill some dudes. Um, she is, you know, a warbird. She fought for the Shi'ar. Uh, if we if we get a chance to to do some more stuff with her down the line, uh, I do want to discuss. Uh, she is a sort of a disgraced warbird, which is how she ended up in this prison. Um. Alex immediately points out that snarks are not good. We shouldn't be working with snarks. Um, and they, they don't really get a, a chance to go over this because uh, they need to get out of the prison. Um, and, uh, of course, Reed says, yeah, we can get out of the prison. I Now that we don't have these collars on, I'm sure my friends here can help. Um, so, uh, Phyllis, I don't think I mentioned that the Massian Cronin here is named uh, Phyllis. Um, which is a fearsome warrior name in uh, in her world. Um, it's a it's a shout out to uh, Will's mother in law. <laughs> I was, was we were trying to come up with with good uh, non scary names for the scary uh, lava rock man, um, and so uh, we just we decided we wanted to go with a name that was not just not scary, but um, not scary in a very like mundane kind of way, um, and something you would not expect a a, a lava throwing barbarian to be named. And uh, uh, like, well, well, we'll name 
even after somebody. And uh, what we landed on was naming it after his mother-in-law, Phyllis, um, which uh, I thought was fun. Um, uh, Alti is also uh, named after uh, Alti Fromancia, uh, artist and generally amazing human being who's uh, worked with me on a, a bunch of Marvel stuff. Um, if you're not familiar with uh, Alti's stuff, she she drew... Um, the fill-in issues uh, six and seven of, of Unstoppable Wasp Volume Two, and uh, I think the odd-numbered issues of the Hulk versus Thor: Champions of the Universe story that I did, um, as well as having done a bunch of like X Men '92, and, and she's been she's done some great stuff. She definitely check her stuff out. Um, but yeah, I, I um, we we named uh, Alti after her. Um, Colrath doesn't have a good story behind his name. I just, uh, uh, <laughs> just wanted a, a name that sounded like a name for a, a snark. Cause they all have sort of names like that. Um, Colrath isn't going to be around that long anyway. So, um, spoiler, uh, I guess, <laughs> uh, um, Okay, but you know they they are um, generally bloody and murderous in their approach on how to get out of the prison, as one might expect, and uh, immediately, um, immediately Bentley starts falling in love with the scary bird lady. Um, so we we get back to uh, Rebecca and Julie here. Uh, this is a fun scene. I wanted to get Julie her costume, uh, cause she hasn't actually had a chance to wear her costume in earnest in the series yet. Um, she came in in this robe. So she goes back into the robe and Rebecca is like, no, oh, it's not a very good costume. Uh, and, um, Julie says, Oh no, there, this, this, I like, uh, cause unstable molecules have been a thing in the Marvel universe since early, early fantastic four. It's their explanation for why, costumes uh fit so tight all the time um is that the the shape changes they're made of unstable molecules um i liked the idea of the ff having programmable costumes so they can change them to look like whatever they want to um and just basically uh change them up at any time the idea of teenage superheroes being able to you know make and customize their own costumes at a moment's notice was very appealing to me um and so like she's she's basically just uh just seems like she's wearing a robe she hits the button on her shoulder and it turns into uh julie's costume um which we get to see uh julie's ripped abs here as well um this is uh something will and i discussed is that uh I feel like speedsters, uh, male speedsters are almost always uh, shown as being like really ripped, having abs, being like uh, really in shape. Female ones are, are often not, uh, even though in a lot of cases, it, like like with Julie's previous costumes, they, they show more skin. Um, so actually like making Julie fit and in shape here is somebody who, you know, moves very fast and burns a lot of fat uh, quickly. Um, a, a fun part of this design for me. I, I like it a lot. And um, we still have the horrible haircut, which I, I want to do something with. 
Um, hopefully we get a chance to, um, but didn't make sense for at any point while she's still, you know, in the prison running for her life to, uh, finish her shave. Um, so, uh, Rebecca still needs a chance to, to change here. So, uh, Julie decides to go out and, and hold off the guards while Rebecca gets into her costume. Um, and we get to see one of my favorite things, which is uh, a chance to really see Julie uh, kick some ass. Um, it's so rare that female characters, even you know, good ones, get a chance to kick some ass unless they're like She-Hulk. Um, but she has super speed. She can, you know, she hits this dude a hundred times within seconds. Um, he just goes flying backwards in, in the next panel and. Um, She's, you know, ripping her way through these guys, throwing clotheslines. And, um, you know, in this last page, we see, like, she's disassembled this guy's entire weapon and pulled this other guy's pants down um, you know, as she goes by. Uh, she's she's just that fast. Um, you know, she moves at the speed of light. Nothing. Nobody is fast enough to catch up with her, except, as it turns out, uh, they have... A, a central energy dampener, uh, power dampener to, you know, uh, supplement these uh, collars in case they go offline. Um, so Julie rounds the corner just as they're getting ready to turn this thing on. And she tries to get away. But here's the thing. She's running at light speed and they hit the power dampener. And uh, she suddenly can't move at light speed anymore, um, which causes her to... Uh, fall very quickly, um, hurting herself very badly. Because, um, you know, when you're running at light speed and you suddenly can't move at light speed anymore, um, you're not going to be able to stand up and you're not going to be able to stop. Um, so she goes tumbling and is in, in pretty rough shape by the time she lands. Um, and she says specifically she's got broken bones. Here is our big page. Uh, page 12, um, they're coming for Julie. They're going to put the dampening collar on her. Um, she's all alone, but then her backup finally shows up because Rebecca has her costume on for the first time. She shoots a dude and blows up the collar, uh, kicks another guy in the face and throws her shield. Uh, it's the, uh, if you don't recognize it, that's the old, uh, the old shield that they used to use for a while back in the day when Captain America had a, uh, a shield that was a hard light shield that, uh, he could throw. It was later inherited by Ricky Barnes. The, uh. The girl without a world nomad who uh, has been missing for some years uh, since uh, since her last apparent de demise and is Rebecca. So several people called that. Uh, <laughs> I recognize that, uh, you know, we, we put a lot of like, who is Rebecca energy out there to, to try and get people guessing. And, uh, you know, Twitter did what it does and people got uh, got it figured out. Um, so we get a cool, very Captain America, I feel like, introduction to, to Ricky. Um, 
which I, you know, you made clear earlier. I love these little, like who I am introductions. Uh, yeah. No matter where you go, one thing remains true. Weak fighters, weak soldiers rely on weapons, not training. Um, you take out their crutch, they go down easy. Me, you could drop me naked in any wilderness and I'd fight my way out. I've been trained by the greatest soldiers of several universes. I've been calling a lot of different things. Bucky, nomad, partner. My name is Rick. My name is Rebecca Barnes, but my friends call me Ricky. I am the girl without a universe. I feel like we upgraded then a little bit. You know, they, they've done the girl without a world thing a lot. Um, there's a, there's a story to this, which we'll get in issue three. Um, but apparently this, this universe is special to her. Um, we get a nice little ready to finish this prison break or did I interrupt your nap bit? Um, she helps, uh, helps Julie up and tells her to call her Ricky, which, uh, congratulations, everybody. Ricky Barnes is back. Um, we'll say that was my idea. <laughs> I wanted to do that uh, from the beginning, but there is a very big uh, why in this series as to why now she is back and what all of that has to do with anything. Uh, But we don't get it here. We get it later in the series. So stay tuned. Um, But at this point, we get back to uh, Alex is watching his prison break being escaped by the most... um, unreasonably murderous um, group of bad guys that we may have ever seen uh, in, in makers frightful Four here. Uh, They're just, just killing prisoners left and right. Um, and an interesting little uh, bit from Yondu here. Um, and dragon man is <laughs> notably worried by the inconsistency of, of the way this read uh, treats life. And, uh, oh, man. Then we get this, uh, this giant space alien drops from the sky uh, with a sword stuck in its chest and uh, all these back. <laughs> she just murdered this thing a hundred times her size um, by putting a sword all the way through it. Um, I think Bentley at one point calls her a beautiful murder bird. <laughs> Um, which is what we were going for. Um, she looks especially buff in this panel here. Um, Alti seems to have uh, figured out that they've made a bit of a miscalculation in the amount of murder they're doing and uh, convinces Reed to call the others off and, and get them to the ship. And of course, Reed is, uh, <laughs> Reed is ready to, uh, flush everybody out the airlock as soon as they, they get the ship. Um, meanwhile, Julie and Ricky are discovering that, uh, the whole prison is coming down to hell. Everybody's broken out and, um, there's a big battle Royale going on. Uh, Ricky is not hesitant to, uh, fight her way out if she has to. Um, they're having a debate about the morality of <laughs> private prisons. Um, and, you know, they, they, they both think it's wrong, but uh, Ricky points out they don't really have time to correct this right now. If they're going to survive, they got to get out. Um, 
find out the the rest of their plan is to, to get into the uh, water supply and ride that out with the uh, Uhari kids who are here uh, to provide some help with that. Julie is nobly volunteering to stay and uh, protect their exit, even though there is absolutely no way that in her current condition she'll be able to do much of anything. Um, Ricky, knowing this, shoves her into the water. Um, just gives a <laughs> cap like her. Um, at the end, they, they take a swim out. Uh, <laughs> we come back to the ship where Bentley is introducing everybody to uh, his when he sure is his new girlfriend in Alti, the uh, murder bird. Um, this is maybe my favorite bit of conversation, which is um, T- Tong and Bentley here. Uh, <laughs> Tong is uh, very angry at Bentley for the implication that murder is a science. And uh, Bentley implies that maybe Tong is just doing it wrong. Um <laughs> says she isn't doing it at all um we're meant to be finding uh dr richards at which point the uh the maker shows up and is uh especially icky in this scene uh because and that's what's demanded of him uh he's an icky guy um and he he's ready to get out of here but uh of course doesn't know about julie um alex says there you gotta wait for julie to get back um, I can prep for takeoff though. We get some, some match together bits here where, uh, Julie and Ricky are, uh, swimming their way out with the Uhari kids. Um, and, uh, meanwhile, we get a development in the plot here. Um, Alex is, is showing, uh, read his device, which detects when, uh, Things around them are, are from a different universe. And uh, it just happens to beep when he points it at the maker. It shows that he's not not the read that they were after. Um, which uh, he, he sends the Dragon Man takes the kids off to go uh, plot to take him out. Uh, Tong is only too ready to get this read who was uh, rude to her. She knew it wasn't the real Reed Richards. He wouldn't be like that. Um, meanwhile, Bentley is, is upset about the uh, potential loss of his uh, new girlfriend. <laughs> um, much much less worried about being murdered, much more about uh, losing his, his precious murder bird. Um, Julie and Ricky make it out, but the security system's coming online, which is this giant swarm of robots that can make basically whatever they need to to uh, get these guys. Um, so they need to move fast, and uh, Julie is in no shape to run at high speeds, but does it anyway so that she can get them out of there you know, and drags them by the, the arms to get out of there. Um, meanwhile, Maker makes his move, uh, hearing the alarms go off and decides to betray Alex and Yondu, but does not realize that he's about to be, uh, attacked by the, the kids coming back. Um, and this, their war is interrupted by Julie, Ricky, and the Hari kids literally crashing the party. Um, 
and Ricky recognizes the maker. Um, and the maker recognizes Ricky. He just calls her another Bucky. Um, just guess again, the same one. So that seems unlikely. Uh, we find out that uh, the maker has at some point in the past killed Ricky or thought he had, um, which is where we're going to pick up issue three with that mystery of what exactly happened to Ricky. You know, the, the bit we got about Reed at the beginning of this one is what we're going to get about Ricky in the next one. It's actually longer and more complicated if that's possible, but it's something I'm really excited about because it's a nice little like addition to the pieces of Marvel lore and, and ties a lot of little like things together in a way that uh, I love it when other people do. And I'm, I'm excited to, to get the chance to play with uh, all these pieces like that. Um, so that's, that's it for what we got right now. That's uh, our, our prelude and issues one and two. So uh, if you're listening to this now, the two is out and uh, three should be out within the month and you'll get uh, and look forward to lots of great Ricky Barnes content next month. Um, thank you guys so much for listening and thank you for reading future foundation. And, uh, I'm Jeremy Whitley. Uh, come find me on Twitter at, you know, jrome 58 and tell me what you thought of the issue. If you haven't already, thanks forever. Dog. This has been a forever dog production executive produced by Brett Boehm, Joe Cilio and Alex Ramsey engineered and mastered by Alex Sarche. For more original podcasts, please visit foreverdogpodcasts.com and subscribe to our shows on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Keep up with the latest Forever Dog news by following us on Twitter and Instagram at Forever Dog Team and liking our page on Facebook. <laughs>